Welcome, friends, to this brand new edition of A Heart After God Bible Teaching Ministry with Pastor Brad Abley. We're delighted that you've joined us today, and we've already been praying for you, that you would meet the Lord in a fresh, new way. We've also been praying that you would be changed and transformed into the image of Jesus by the power of His Word and by the power of the Holy Spirit. And now, let's resume our Know Your Faith series as we go through the entire Gospel of Luke, patiently, slowly, and verse by verse. Here's Pastor Brad. Well, very warm greetings to you, my friends. This is Pastor Brad Abley with A Heart After God Bible Teaching Ministry, a ministry that is designed to take you deeper into the Word of God and to stir within all of us a greater heart after God. Well, I want to wish you uh, and bless you with a happy, blessed New Year 2022. That's just amazing to me that we're already in 2022. And I know that this is the second Sunday in the year, but I still want to wish you a happy New Year. And um, I'm just thankful to God for all of you that listen to this broadcast every week. I sure hope that you will let others know about it and encourage them to listen to it as well. Well, we are in our Know Your Faith series. I just love that phrase, the Know Your Faith series. And I love that we're able to go through the Gospel of Luke verse by verse. What better way can there be to know our faith than to take an entire book of the Bible? And I am so grateful to God for the privilege and the honor to be able to bring his word to you week after week. And that's what it is. It's a privilege. It isn't a right. And I serve at his pleasure. And this broadcast is at his pleasure. We always hold on to all things loosely um, because we don't know the future, but we do know the one who does hold the future. Isn't that right? So if you would, if you have a Bible, please turn with me to Luke chapter 9. And in today's broadcast, which is part 65 of our series, we are going to cover um, at least just, well, at the minimum, we'll cover verses 49 uh, and 50. And I don't know how much further we'll, we'll be able to get. But let's pray and um, let's commit this time to the Lord. So, Father, would you be glorified in this message? And Holy Spirit, would you take control? Now we look to you. You are the master teacher. No one can teach like you can. And yet we have to have open ears and open eyes and open hearts. Otherwise, we are not going to receive your word. We're not going to grow. We're not going to be changed. And so this is a partnership. Now we pray that you would do these things, that you would open our eyes, open our ears, open our hearts, and let the result be, Holy Spirit, that, that this time would bring great glory and honor to the Father and to the Son, and that we would produce great fruit for your name, both presently and eternally. And we ask these things according to your will, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen and amen. Now, 
My friends, at this point in the ministry of Jesus, as we get to uh, Luke chapter, well, especially verse 51, Jesus is leaving his ministry in Capernaum, in Galilee, and he is moving forward to the inevitability of his crucifixion on the cross. And we find that, let me just jump ahead a little bit. We find that in Luke 9, 51, where Luke says, when the days were approaching for his ascension. Isn't that interesting that Luke would say his ascension, not his crucifixion? Well, he did say that, in effect, several verses before that, when Jesus says in uh, verse 44, let these words sink into your ears, for the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. That is Jesus' way of speaking of his crucifixion. But what is really good about this is that Luke doesn't repeat what Jesus has already said, but he focuses on his resurrection. Uh, when he uses the word ascension, that is his resurrection and his return to the Father, uh, where he is seated at the right hand of the Father, where he rules and reigns over all creation. So this is a beautiful way of Luke telling us, telling the reader that, that although Jesus says he's going to be delivered into the hands of men, the other side is that he is going to be raised from the dead. As he said in John 17, he is going to resume the glory with the Father that he had before the world was even created. But the point that Luke is making in Luke 9, verse 51, <clears throat> is there is a coming transition. There's a coming shift. And that shift is pointing to one thing, and that is the coming crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. In the meantime, there's still a lot of work to be done with his disciples, because once Jesus goes to heaven, the whole ministry is going to be in the hands and on the shoulders of these 12 men. And they're not ready yet. And so Jesus is having to do everything uh, in a ramped up fashion. That is, with, with more intensity and more focus. And so the Holy Spirit now is turning up the heat and he's using circumstances basically to humble these men. And they need humility <laughs> desperately, just like we all do. So the title of today's message is Humility is Always the Best Choice. It's always the best choice. Pride is always the worst choice. Pride is the worst sin of all. It's what casts Lucifer out of heaven. Humility is the greatest virtue of all. Because without humility, uh, God resists us. 
There's another reason why humility is always the best choice, and I'm going to get to that in just a moment. But first, let's look at the situation that arose that revealed more pride in the hearts of the disciples. Actually, let me go back and just remind us, because it's been uh, several weeks since we, um, you know, our focus was on uh, the incarnation in the month of December, and we did resume our focus in Luke 9 last week. But let's just remind ourselves in Luke 9, 46, Luke tells us an argument started among them, that is all 12, as to which of them might be the greatest. They were competing with each other. There was no love. There was no humility. They were arguing over who's the greatest. That That's amazing that they would do that. But you know, ministers today may not say who's the greatest, but they want to be the greatest. Most, well, too many ministers want to be greater or better than their peers. And, and then we find Jesus knowing what they were thinking in their heart. That is, they when Jesus came, they shut up. They didn't want him to hear what about their argument. Took a child and stood him by his side, verse 48 of Luke 9, and said to them, whoever receives this child and children at that time were not considered important, but they are important to Jesus. He says, uh, whoever receives me, whoever receives this child in my name, as I would, receives me. And whoever receives me receives him who sent me, that is the Father. For the one who is least among all of you, that's how children were viewed, this is the one who is great. Now, can you imagine the conviction that must have hit the disciples and the astonishment of how astonished they must have been when Jesus said those words, how quiet the room must have gotten when Jesus said those words. But this is not all. Well, it's at this point, apparently, that that John thinks of another situation where they were guilty of pride. And so Luke tells us in verse 49 of Luke 9, John answered and said, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to prevent him because he does not follow along with us. He's not one of us. But Jesus said to him, do not stop him. Do not hinder him. For he who is not against you is for you. Now, you see, my friends, the problem is this in the church of Jesus Christ, and it is a real problem. We look with suspicion on those who don't think like us and worship like us. Now, Jesus, this in this situation, this man, whoever it was, was not teaching false doctrine. 
He was doing the work that the disciples were supposed to be doing and failed in. And he was casting out demons. That means that he would have been preaching the gospel as well. But the disciples had failed to cast the demon out of the little boy. And yet they were arguing about who was the greatest. Do you see how deceived they were, how they were hypocritical? And it's because this man was not one of the 12, did not follow them. Now, there's no explanation as to who he was, why he was casting out demons. But the point here that Luke wants to make is that he was casting out demons. And in our world today, if you're in, let's say, the Anglican church and someone else is in an independent full gospel church or Pentecostal church or Anglican church, what ends up happening is the people in the Anglican church might look down on their very brothers who are in a different church than them and the people who are in the different church than the Anglican church might look down on them as well. You can add in Baptist, you could add in Presbyterian, you could add in uh, Methodist. But there's also the issue of the, of the Orthodox Church, the Eastern Orthodox Church. They worship very differently generally speaking, than Protestants do, or evangelicals. Now, I have some major problems with some denominations in the way they worship. But I learned many years ago that one particular denomination that I have major problems with doctrinally, not just in how they do things, but doctrinally, and the wife of uh, the, the owner of a company that I was working for was in that denomination. And this woman was a very powerful woman of God, very godly woman, definitely born again. And so I had to hold my tongue and not criticize her because I am not her Lord and Savior. Jesus is. Now, I can't walk in agreement with someone that doesn't hold to the essentials of the faith. Of course, we need to know what those essentials are as well, because sometimes we make an essential out of a non-essential. Let me give you an example. During the Protestant Reformation, the early part of the Protestant Reformation, you had a new movement that sprung up which was called the Anabaptists. Anna in Greek, or Anna, means again. They believed differently than the Reformers believed. John Calvin and, and Zwingli and others, Luther, Martin Luther, who would baptize infants. Now, I do not agree with the baptism of infants. They have doctrinal reasons for why they baptize infants. I will dedicate an infant, but I only believe in a believer's baptism. That is, 
that you must profess faith in Jesus in, in or, and then be baptized. That's the biblical pattern. And baptism is by immersion. Now, there are Christians who believe in the essentials of the faith, but they are willing to baptize infants or they sprinkle. Well, back during those days, the early 1500s, the reformers persecuted the Anabaptists and they persecuted them severely. In fact, the city council of Zurich or Zurich, Switzerland had um, one, the one man's name was Mons, M-A-N-Z, and the other one's name was Grable, and there was a third one, but it was especially Mons that they executed him. But you know how they did it? In a very wicked way, they tied his arms and his hands and threw him in a very icy lake. In other words, what they were doing is they were saying, you believe in baptism by immersion? Fine, we're going to baptize you by immersion. And, and you know, the, the reformers were Bible-believing Christians. And yet they made an essential out of baptism, and baptism is not an essential. It is essential that we be baptized, but the mode is not, how we do it is not essential. Remember the thief on the cross said, Jesus, remember me in your kingdom. And Jesus said, this day you will be with me in paradise. He wasn't even baptized. And so the reality is that even if someone is not baptized, it doesn't mean they're not born again. I was born again in 1980 but didn't get baptized. It was 1980 or 1981, but I didn't get baptized until 1983, but I was right with God. So my friends, you and I have got to exercise humility and love toward other Christians who believe in salvation by grace through faith, but they might worship differently. And this is a perfect example what we just went through. Now, why did John and the rest of the disciples reject this man? Because they were living in pride. Pride is never the best choice. Humility is always the best choice. Now, why is that? Why is that? Well, I like to say it this way. My friends, we are most like Jesus when we are humble. And we are most like the devil when we move in pride. Pride is what caused Lucifer to be cast out of heaven. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. We're most like Jesus when we walk, when we choose to walk in humility. Why is that? It's because Jesus called himself humble. Did you know that? If you have a Bible, turn with me to Matthew chapter 11, and we're going to take a look at verses 28 
through 30. Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30. Here's what he says. Now, these words are going to minister to many of you, so get ready. Look at this beautiful invitation. Jesus says this, come to me, all who are weary and burdened or heavy laden. Come to me. It's interesting that that simple Greek word translated to, the Greek word is pros, and it's a word that that refers to intimacy. And Jesus is inviting us to come to him and abide with him. And we all go through times, my friends, when we're worn down by this world. We are burdened by this world. We're burdened by our own cares, our own worry, our own anxiety. And Jesus is the answer to take care of those things. Come to me, he says, all, everyone who is weary and burdened, and I, in the Greek text, I is emphatic. I, he's pointing to himself as God the Son, who is able to change our situation around. I will, not might, I will give you rest. The Greek word means refreshing. Do you want refreshing? Do you want rest? Learn to come to Jesus and abide in him, and that's what you'll get. Take, verse 29, he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. Let's talk first about the yoke. What is that? Well, Many of you understand, if you have two oxen plowing together in a field, they have to be able to move at the same pace side by side. So what do farmers do? They put a heavy piece of wood that's carved out to fit on their backs. They put a very, very heavy piece of wood. Now, I've never lifted a yoke, but I would expect that it needs to be lifted by two men at least at the same time. And, and oxen are able to bear that weight. And so they would put the, 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 the yoke on the oxen to make sure the oxen plowed evenly at the same time. But that yoke is heavy. It's too heavy for any man. And we live like oxen under a heavy, burdensome yoke, and Jesus can take it off with one finger, so to speak. And when he does, what happens? When a yoke yoke is taken off the oxen, do you think they feel better? (laughs) Yes, they do. And when Jesus removes the weight of the world from our shoulders, we experience his rest. And why is this? It's because of who he is. He says, I am gentle. The Greek word translated gentle is a powerful word. It is the humility which is strength under control. 
The word really means humility. It means humble. But the translators don't want to say, I am humble and humble in heart, because there are two different words here. So they translate the first word gentle, which is true. It is the humility which is strength under control. It is the fruit of the Spirit which enables the believer to place the will of God before personal rights. Isn't that how Jesus lived before the Father? Not my will, but yours be done. I am gentle. The Greek word is proutes. But then he goes on and he says, and humble in heart. The Greek word is tapenophrasune. And I love this word. It is one who behaves in an unassuming manner, devoid of all haughtiness, free from all haughtiness. That's who Jesus is. You know, when he um, joined up with the two men from Emmaus after his resurrection and began to walk with them, he, the, <laughs> this aspect of Jesus, his humility, they didn't even recognize him. And there are other reasons why they didn't recognize him, but that's one of them because this is who Jesus is. When It's like when you're in a group of people, there's usually one that kind of dominates the conversation because that person usually feels like he or she is the most important one and wants the attention. But then there are others in the group that are quieter. But that doesn't mean they're less important. It just means they're humble and they're easy to get along with. How about you, my friend? Would you rather get together with someone who is arrogant and doesn't listen and controls the conversation? Or would you rather be with someone who is humble, who listens, who maybe speaks 50% of the time and you speak 50% of the time? That's where real fellowship takes place. There's no fellowship with one who is domineering at every point. And Jesus is not like that, even though he is God, the Son, who created us along with the Father and the Son. He says, for I am gentle and humble in heart. That is, it's easy to come to him. His arms are open wide. And what is the result? And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke isn't heavy. He says it is easy, easy. The word means comfortable or pleasant. And my burden is light. Have you received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, my friend? So that you can be free from your burden of sin? You can do that right now by simply praying a prayer. And you can pray with me this very moment. Let me lead you in this prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, pray with me. Lord Jesus Christ. 
I give you my life. My burden of sin has, is crushing me. And so I come to you and I give you my burden of sin and I take your life. Live your life in me, Lord Jesus. And I will live for you and I will serve you all the days of my life. Thank you, Jesus, that you have heard my prayer. Thank you, Jesus, that you are now my Lord and my Savior. And for those of you who are believers and you've just so burdened, I just say grace, grace to you. Draw near to, Lord, to the Lord Jesus. Cast the burden upon him. He will sustain you. He will do what he says he's going to do, but tell him. Say, Lord, I come to you. I surrender my life to you afresh. Here, take all the worries and the anxieties. Take them. They're, your shoulders are big enough. Mine are too small to carry this burden. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless you until next week. Thank you, Pastor Brad, for this outstanding message and time of ministry. Friends, Pastor Brad and his wife Maureen need a prayer team. Would you kindly consider praying for them on a daily basis? Thank you for your partnership. If you've been blessed by this ministry, please tell others about it. If you would like to partner with him financially, please go to his website at bradably.com. You can also check out his two devotionals and his commentaries on Amazon.com. Until next time, we pray that our Lord stir you daily to have a greater heart after Him in every way. Thank you.